you want your eyes directly towards the screen with your neck straight. So your neck is straight, you're looking at the screen. Number two, you want your arms on an armrest comfortably. And number three, you want your keyboard and your mouse in a position where your arms don't have to leave your body or leave the armrest, if that makes sense. It's, it's harder to describe without showing you, but hopefully that was all right. <laughs>
you know, and the doctor of osteopathy, they they are very much like MDs. They can prescribe, they can subspecialize, they can, you know, become surgeons, they can become internists. So it's a, it's a little bit different. Well, let's talk a little bit about first the concept of manual therapy. You know, what's interesting is, and I've told you this before, if you like to watch YouTube, and I do, I watch YouTube, and there's a variety of different things that they go on YouTube. There's the YouTube shorts. And just recently, for some reason, I've been watching chiropractors do manipulative therapy where they somebody comes in with a specific problem, and they find the problem, and then they release the problem. And you, you see it right on the screen, the immediate relief that some people get from certain issues and problems. But that's only a very small part of what you do, I think. Is that right? Yeah, that is probably the number one thing chiropractors do is that manipulative manual release that you get. And just briefly, that's, you know, people think, oh, you're, you know, it's something to do with the bone, breaking the bone. It's it's simply, a, it's called a cavitation. It's a gas bubble forming in the joint. And so really all that, quote unquote, all that is, is that you're taking a vertebrae that isn't moving in a particular direction and you get it to move. So you open the joint up that's connecting the vertebrae a little bit more than, than, um, than normally moves and releases the gas bubble. So that's that audible release um, that you hear, which is a very positive thing. It has a lot of evidence-based proof of the myriad of benefits it has. And then you get in kind of more of the soft tissue side. So muscles, tendons, ligaments, and you don't have necessarily the audible release that you have with the spine, but you do have releases where you can feel the spasm or the scar tissue, the fibrotic tissue. You can actually feel it sort of give way and go from a contracted position to a relaxed position. So there are sort of different releases you get depending on what kind of treatment you're doing. Right. You know, from from my standpoint and what I've observed is people get into certain positions and do things in certain ways, and then they develop to some degree some contracture of their spine or, or of their muscles or of their fascia, and they're really out of line. So when you kind of put counterforce on these areas, it brings them back to alignment. And I think if they can maintain that, they they feel better. Yeah. I mean, the traditional philosophy of chiropractic, at least one of them, is uh, your body has an innate ability to heal itself. And so when things get out of alignment, if you put your body back into alignment, then your body will be, will be able to heal itself. And then instead of just live, you thrive. Right. But in your practice, you actually somewhat go beyond that. You You explore nutrition and you explore a whole variety of other issues, right? Yeah, you know, I think it's it's important to um, when when you have a patient in your office to look at the the you know the, the the whole person, not just look at they're coming in maybe with slouched shoulders, but are they inflamed overall? You know, it's important to talk about their diet. It's important to talk about what exercise they're doing. Are they sitting all day long? You know, because I can I would say I can fix somebody with poor posture, but if they continue to do you know, have poor posture at their uh, at their desk after they're feeling better. If they continue to eat, like for instance, processed foods that cause inflammation, um, if they continue to sleep in a poor position with a bad pillow, uh, they're most likely going to get issues down the road. And so, if you take a look at everything, then you can you can treat the person a lot better and hopefully prevent issues from coming on in the future. Yeah. So let's take a specific example. You may not remember this, but I remember it well. A number of years ago, I hurt my right elbow area. I had a bad case of what's called tennis elbow. Medically, we call it lateral epicondylitis. And I couldn't get it better, no matter what I was doing. So I came to you and you fixed me and you fixed me in a number of ways. So I want I want to talk about how that was done because it's application to many things that you do. 
So first, you concluded that I was right. I made an accurate diagnosis of lateral epicondylitis or tennis elbow. And then you manipulated the soft tissue. Talk a little bit about that. Well, first, I'd like to say, and knowing Dr. Oaken for a long time, he's usually right. Uh, he's very smart. <laughs> and so usually when he comes in or he sends a patient in, he's, he's pretty accurate. So to sort of if you think about the etiology of an injury, when you have a tennis elbow, I'll just use te tennis as an example, but it can be anything that causes repetitive stress. You use the muscles or the tendons that attach to your elbow quite a bit. So let's say swinging a racket, going back and forth with your wrist. Um, and then if you do that too much, if you're not strong enough to handle it and used a bigger racket, you changed your grip. You went from playing tennis to working on the computer all day long typing. You have these abnormal stresses on the area, which leads to micro tears. And if you do that over and over again, what's called repetitive stress, you start to have this accumulation of scar tissue form in the area, which um, medical term might be an adhesion. And when you have these adhesions, you have this scar tissue build up. And the way I like to describe it to my patients is um, if you think about a spider web built into an area where there should look like uncooked spaghetti. You have this built-in spider web that sticks and binds and it causes tightness, it causes weakness, and it causes pain. Resting this, these spider webs or the scar tissue does not get rid of it usually. You, you know, icing it can help, heat can help, stretching can all help, but it, they're usually temporary because again, you have this ball of scar tissue that is not going anywhere. So one of the specialties that I have in my office is that we, we specialize in breaking up the scar tissue. So we do various techniques and there's a lot of techniques out there. The ones we like to use, we use these stainless steel tools called the Grassen technique where we dig into the scar tissue. So we manually get in there and break up the fibers of the scar tissue. We use another technique called active release, which is more using hand, my hands and moving the arm and the elbow around in various positions to basically break up the scar tissue. And then another technique that works really well in combination is dry needling. So where um, we take these needles, these acupuncture needles, and we stick them right into the area where the scar tissue is, and it helps to also release those fibers. So when you actually get in there and you break up this, this, this network of, you know, again, these spider webs, now you're allowing the area to heal itself. And so where maybe others have failed with these various techniques that they might use, or you've just tried rest, you've tried ibuprofen, you know, sort of ibuprofen rest, these are band-aids. They might help while you're not doing it, but as soon as you start using it again and playing tennis or racquetball or pickleball or whatever it is that you like to do, it's just, it's just not going to go away. And so in your case, it's it's kind of, we employed, you know, all three of them to uh, to try to fix you as fast as possible. And, and thankfully it worked. Right, right. So at what was happening is for our listeners at the molecular level or at the tissue level, I was trying to heal. But the way I was healing was actually laying down healing cells, fibroblasts, but they were actually counteractive because they were creating kind of a contraction, right? Yeah. Right. And then building a scar. And then in my day-to-day -day use of it, I kept on, I think, breaking the scar and causing more inflammation. And that went on and on and on. And you're right. In this case, you probably don't remember, but my tennis elbow began after we had a really heavy snow and I was outside, you know, shoveling, constantly moving my, rotating my, uh, my elbow, pronating it and super and supinating my hand. And it was, it was so sore. I could literally not even pick up a fork for a while. Yeah. So you did the active release, which is a great technique that I actually use a lot of times when people have abductor strains using a lacrosse ball, but you, you did the active release where you, you found the very, very tender, most tender area. 
and you felt it and you could feel what? What do you feel when you do that? Yeah. So, um, you know, just from working on thousands and thousands of people over the years, you develop a feel for what feels normal, what doesn't feel normal. So there's a bunch of different things that we can feel. Um, I don't remember specifically in your case what I felt exactly, but generally what I'm feeling is I'm feeling tension in the tissue. I'm feeling when I move your arm around, is it gliding properly? Tissue is supposed to glide as you move it. Is there a grittiness to it? Normal, healthy tissue is sort of soft and supple. Uh, Damaged, scarred tissue has a grittiness to it. And then I can also sort of palpate to see if, meaning feel the area to see if it's inflamed. And so I kind of just get an overall general feel as I move your arm around, move your elbow, move your wrist. By by just understanding what's normal and what's abnormal, I usually can find the spot pretty quick. And that's most likely what I did with you. Right. That is what you did. And then I remember you find you found a particularly tender area, you made it release. And then after that was when you used the Graston technique. Explain that a little more to our listeners. Sure, sure. So the technique, you you have these different stainless steel tools, and there's six of them, and there's different sort of shapes and sizes, different contours for different body parts. And kind of going back to the example of the spider webs in sort of laying in an area of uncooked spaghetti, I'm trying to break up the spider webs and help realign the fibers sort of along the line of those uncooked spaghetti. And so you take these stainless steel tools, you find the sort of the shape and the concavity or convex you're looking for on the body part. And then you're digging into that tissue where that scar tissue is, where those spider webs are. And you, by digging into it, and you can dig into it in different ways. You can go perpendicular to the tissue, you can go parallel, you can do more circular motions. But the idea is where you feel the most resistance under the tool. And believe it or not, I can feel that there's vibrations that come up to my hand through the tool. I can feel where the most resistance is. And then I can use the tool to dig in and manually break up those, those that scar tissue to allow that area to finally start to heal itself. And then the the after effect of that is what? what? What do patients expect? Early on in treatment, first visit, second visit, they can be sore. Sometimes they can even get a little bruised. It's totally normal. It's you're in, I always kind of joke and say, I'm beating the area up, but I'm, in, I'm sort of initiating this inflammatory healing response. And so when you dig into an area, you can leave it a little sore, a little bruised, but usually it doesn't last very long. It's not bad at all. And usually you feel a heck of a lot better after the soreness starts to go away. Usually one treatment's not going to do it though, right? It's going to be. Yeah. I mean, it's, if you think about most of these injuries, it's cumulative over a period of time. You know, Mm -hmm. it could be a few days, but usually it's weeks, months, or sometimes even years. And so you have this accumulation of this scar tissue. The pathology of the tissue has changed over time. So you go from that normal, healthy, soft, supple tissue to this gritty, tight, gravelly, inflamed tissue. And so it takes you know, several treatments, sometimes less, sometimes more, but at least usually several treatments because you want tissue turnover to happen in the area where you go from that pathologically sort of diseased tissue, if you want to call it that, to, to that healthy tissue that done, doesn't generate pain and doesn't generate inflammation. So usually it's, you know, it's a cut two or three times a week, right. maybe two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, but it's repetition, repetition, repetition. And the analogy I like to use with patients is it's, it's kind of similar as like working out, running, doing yoga. You're not going to put on muscle working out by working out one day a week. It takes repetition, repetition. And it's the same thing with healing these injuries. It's working on it, you know, consistently over a period of a few weeks where you actually heal the area versus just get rid of the pain. So if you thought about the most common thing that people come to the chiropractor for, it's usually neck pain and back pain, right? Right. So how do you approach your typical back pain patient? So, you know, every everybody, even people that do the same techniques as I do, we all have our own sort of way to go about it. 
first I look globally at the patient. I try to you know look at their posture, look at the way their hips are aligned. Are they shifted? Are they not? Look at their pelvis. Is it forward? Is it back? You know, is it sort of tilted backwards? Leg length, just to get a nice global picture of what their spine, their body looks like. And then in the case, let's just say of their lower back, I'm going to have them move around in my office to see what where it hurts, when it hurts. Is it bending over? Is it arching back? Is it twisting? So I'll get a feel for that. Then I'll have them lie on the table. And I usually, you know, I'll start with their, their face up and I'll move their legs around and basically check their hips out, see if they're moving correctly, identify where their hips have any issues. Then they, you know, they turn face down and I, I palpate their back, which means basically I'm feeling the back. I'm feeling the muscles. I'm feeling the joints in the back. There's joints that connect each vertebrae called your facet joints, F-A-C-E-T, and um, they should have a bounce to them, like your elbow, like your wrist, they move. And so basically when I push on them in various ways, I'm feeling for the bounce and a bounce is a healthy facet joint. If it doesn't bounce, it's, it's not healthy necessarily. And that's something that needs to be addressed. So I palpate all the facet joints. I palpate their pelvis. They have joints called your sacroiliac joints. You have your sacrum. And I really, again, get an overall feel for the back, their low back in this condition, the health. And then I evaluate all their muscles, where they have tightness in their muscles. Is it, do they have the scar tissue we were discussing? And so it's really a general, you start sort of global and then you go more specific. And I really try to make a point to identify the exact area that they have pain. And so I'll palpate a bunch of different areas. A lot of times what I'll say to the patient is I'm going to number these spots. You tell me where it hurts the most. And then I also give feedback where I feel it the most. And usually it matches up. Oh, number three is the worst. Yes. Okay. Right here. It's your right facet joint. I think this is your main issue. This is going on. And then after that, we talk about the treatment plan and kind of what we were just discussing, how many times to come in the office that I think is going to, um, that you're going to need. And then of course we reevaluate along the way. Is it something that is more than we can handle? Do you need medicine? Do you need to talk to your medical doctor, your primary care, an orthopedist? Do you need x-rays, MRIs, which we can order, or we can refer out to order that? So it's, it's really, um, you know, trying to incorporate everything we can to help the patient get better as fast as possible. Well, one of the things I think that was probably made you very busy was during the pandemic when people were sitting at their computers all day, using a mouse, you know, doing this, doing that. And I wonder if we could just finish up by you giving everybody some good pointers on how to ergonomically take care of yourself while you're using your computer and your mouse and sitting. Yeah, sure. And you're you're exactly right. During the pandemic, once we opened, of course, we got a lot of people coming in saying my neck or my back hurt because they're now working at home at their kitchen table or even on their couch, something that they're not they're not used to and they don't have a great setup. So some easy tips. First of all, I I pretty much always recommend a desk that you're able to stand and sit. It goes from one to the other. I think sitting all day, even if you have perfect posture, can cause problems. I also think standing all day can cause problems. And so really my favorite is a desk where you can easily sit for an hour, stand for an hour, sit for an hour, stand for an hour. But if you're sitting, I like this, the laptops are not good to work on. Laptops, is, um, as I'm looking at mine right now, I have to look down at the laptop at the screen. So immediately I have to basically, uh, it's called flexing your neck or bending your neck down to look at the screen. So if you have a laptop, I always recommend using, you can either buy a laptop razor where it raises your laptop up, or you can even just use a box if you don't wanna spend any money. And really what you want is you want your eyes and there's various people that have different opinions, but generally if you're looking straight ahead, your eyes are looking towards the top of the screen or even the middle of the screen. You're not having to look down at all. You're not looking up, but with your neck in a very sort of straight position, you're looking at the middle of the screen. 
You also want a chair where you can rest your arms at your sides comfortably. If your arms are up and away from your body, you immediately increase tension in your neck and your shoulders. So you want your arms on the armrest. So your arms are relaxed and all the muscles around your neck, they call it specifically like the upper trapezius. You don't want them to be active and holding your arms up. They're way more relaxed when your arms are on the armrest by their sides. And then to kind of go along with that, you want your keyboard and your mouse right in front of you where you don't have to reach for them. Because that, again, ruins the point of sort of having your arms resting. You want your keyboard and your mouse right in front of you. Sometimes desks have the feature where you can pull out the keyboard to you, which I think is very good if you can get a desk like that. But either way, you want to position your laptop or your computer where you're able to reach your keyboard. Now, just to kind of not to I'll try to simplify this in a minute here. But if you have a laptop and you're raising your laptop up, get a Bluetooth keyboard, Bluetooth keyboard, Bluetooth, Bluetooth mouse. So that way you're using your laptop. It's propped up but you have a keyboard in your mouth. So I know that was a lot. I'm gonna simplify it right now. You want your eyes directly towards the screen with your neck straight. So your neck is straight, you're looking at the screen. Number two, you want your arms on an armrest comfortably. And number three, you want your keyboard and your mouse in a position where your arms don't have to leave your body or leave the armrest, if that makes sense. It's, it's harder to describe without showing you, but hopefully that was all right. <laughs> That's great. You know, you may not remember this, but I, I developed mouse shoulder during COVID. It, yeah, it yeah. was just a horrible aching. And you fixed me from that too. So that that's was great. To, that's great to hear. <laughs> it was good. Well, good. this has been a great discussion. We talked about where manual therapy fits in with chiropractic care and physical therapy and common things that people experience and why they go to the chiropractor. So this has been a great discussion and ergonomically how important it is to sit and stand and move. So thanks for being a guest and thanks to our audience for listening. And thank you to the Columbia Association for sponsoring Finding Your Wellness. This is Harry Oaken for Finding Your Wellness. Thank you for having me, Harry. Thanks for listening to Dragon Podcasts. Connect with us at podbean.com slash dragon podcasts.